1: Welcome to Unhappy Hour, the show where we bitch about all the things we love to hate every single week. I'm your host, Matt Belisai. I'm here in the studio as always with my producer Barry Finkel, hi Barry. Hey Matt. Hey Barry. I can tolerate you today because guess what? The AC in my bedroom got fixed. What? <laughs> I know everyone was very concerned because I've had I've had to sleep in a bed in a bedroom Mm -hmm. that has been consistently five to six degrees warmer (laughs) than I like it. (laughs) It's been impossible to be around you. I know. I've been insufferable. (laughs) But luckily, it's fixed. So now we can get right into what we're getting into today. First up, of course, is Worst Things First, where I explain the shittiest news of the week. After that, we're diving deep into Pixar movies. Because unhappy hour is all about ruining everything that you believe in especially your childhood even your beloved animated children's films will we discuss which pixar characters definitely boned yes the cars the cars did did the old man in up fuck the talking dog (laughs) nope he fucked the boy (laughs) (laughs) you'll just have to keep listening to find out and then finally, we've got Emmy-nominated comedian W. Kamau Bell on the show. We're going to talk about his new Netflix special, his new baby, and more. So stick around because we got a great show for you. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's get into it. Let's start the show! Alright, horse things first. Let's discuss the weirdest news of the week. First, R.I.P. Papa John, Aww. rest in pizza. <laughs> JK, he doesn't deserve that. <laughs> uh, basically, here's what happened. Forbes, Forbes, the mm-hmm. magazine, reported that Papa John, a.k.a. John Schnatter, which is his name, which <laughs> I would disavow that name if that was my last name, too. Absolutely. Call me Papa. Papa. <laughs> Forbes reported that uh, John used the N-word during a conference call earlier this year. Oh, no. And now he's out. He's out. He's resigned from all the shit. I just, how hard is it not to say the (laughs) (laughs) N-word? Period. Let alone during a conference call.
0: (sighs) It shouldn't be that hard.
1: No. So after this, the company announced that they would be launching a worldwide search for the new Papa John, um, who will be selected according to the Tibetan laws of reincarnation. He's out there somewhere. We just have to wait until the new Papa reveals himself in some way, possibly many years from now. It has to be a John, though. It has to be a John. Papa John Krasinski. Daddy Krasinski. Next! Speaking of old pieces of shit, uh, an ancient coffin that hasn't been opened in 2000 years was found in Egypt and nobody knows what's inside. Oh yeah. It's a black granite sarcophagus, just like your mom. (laughs) And it's the largest coffin ever found in Alexandria. I hope they open it like a YouTuber unboxing video. (laughs) Hey, guys, I'm sitting here with my 2,000-year-old box, and I'm about to open it. What do you guys think's in it? Then again, look what happened when fucking Brendan Fraser tried this shit. He got fucked by the mummy. Yeah. He used to look like George of the Jungle. Now look at him. Yeah. Mess. (laughs) Next, a 62-year-old Pennsylvania man has been indicted on charges of trafficking turtles. I guess he was trying to like ship a bunch of 3,500 turtles to Canada. That's a lot of turtles. Yeah, but I think they're maybe like eggs. Okay. Anyway, you can't do that, I guess, because it's an endangered species or something. It's a protected species under New Jersey law. I didn't even know New Jersey had laws. (laughs) And by an international treaty. So this man is now like an international felon (laughs) because he tried to mail turtles.
0: You know who should be on this case? Me. You would be a great Ace Ventura pet detective.
1: I had a turtle, that's why. Oh, wow. Technically, my brother had a turtle. Have I told you about this? I don't
0: think so. I know about your hamsters and your dogs.
1: We had a turtle named Corn Pop that (laughs) we caught from this lake. My brother caught from this lake in Michigan, and then we brought it home. And it smelled like an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And Acted like an asshole. (laughs) It was just in a tank for like 20 years. And finally, my mom was, because she was the one who had to take care of it, was like... We should like give him back to nature. And you can't just let it go because it'll die. But she called like this local sanctuary and they were like, Yeah, we'll take it. And then the next day we woke up and he was dead. <laughs> Cause he knew he knew we were plotting to get rid of him. And he was like, fuck off and he went on a hunger strike and oh then my died. God,
0: corn pop.
1: R.I.P. Corn Pop. <laughs> Gone and mostly forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Next, the man who held the record for longest fingernails on one hand decided to chop them off. Not his hands, all his fingers. Okay, the fingernails. <laughs> he hadn't cut his fingernails since 1952. Ew, why? He was 14 years old, and I guess he broke a nail during school, and a teacher got mad at him for it. <laughs> And so he was like, fuck you, bitch. Wait 60 years from now when I never cut my nails. It was like revenge against this teacher. And what is
0: he going to do with the nails?
1: They're donated to Ripley's, believe it or not. Oh,
0: that is disgusting. Do something better with your life. <laughs>
1: But he loves himself.
0: Obviously. Gr- he can't let any part of himself go.
1: He uh, This was through an interpreter. He said, I was a little bit scared that my celebrity favor would go down. But today, after coming here, I realized after all of this, I've become a real celebrity. Now, forever, my nails will be remembered and forever, my nails will be seen by people from all over the world. So he's just insane.
0: I mean, he's <laughs> doing better than I am, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, are your nails and Ripley's believe it or not? Nah, no, nope. I can
0: barely grow them. Bite them constantly.
1: Mine grow pretty fast, and I don't like cutting them because they—they're good for scratching. <laughs> I honestly—I was thinking about this last night. Please week, tell me, because I was scratching a lot. It's one of my favorite activities finally rest in peace Jaja the ugliest dog in the world oh it was so sad also a lot of death and worse things first this week I know it's a sad week especially for animals Jaja the English bulldog who last month won the title of world's ugliest dog just one month strong. later dead at nine years old. it's because she didn't understand that it was a gift that was given to her. She was being celebrated.
0: Should we sing Pretty Hurts? Pretty Pretty
1: Hurts. hurts. Uh, Especially if you're a fucking ugly dog. And that's it for Worst Things First. Next, we're shining a light on Pixar films and then smashing them to smithereens. Just like that little Pixar lamp that looks at the eye and then squashes it to death mercilessly. Woody, Blick, Peggy Bank, Mike Wazowski. Deep Dive, Deep Dive, Deep Dive, Deep Dive, Deep Dive. Deep Dive, Deep Dive, Deep Dive, Deep Dive. Everybody loves a good Pixar movie, right? Right. Wrong! Because this is Unhappy Hour, and we find the shittiness in everything, especially your childhood faves, like fucking Toy Story, and Toy Story 2, and Toy Story 3, and the forthcoming Toy Story 4. Come up with a new idea, you dumb fucks! So basically, I'm going to go through all the Pixar movies I've seen and find out what I hate about them, because I can find something to hate in all of them, even though Pixar movies generally are fine. I have some issues. I have some nits to pick, sir. First, we have Toy Story. Right off the bat, I don't like the promotion of any world in which inanimate objects can watch me while I'm engaged in intimate acts. Okay. No, thanks. No, thanks. I don't need a piggy bank to pretend to be lifeless when actually he's making a mental note of all the times I've eaten cake on the toilet. (laughs) Also, I don't need a fucking piggy bank at all because I don't want a fucking pig knowing that I blow all my money on meaningless garbage. (laughs) Like piggy banks. Toy Story is capitalist propaganda. Ooh. Toy Story is just big industry trying to convince our children that objects have feelings. <laughs> Don't believe this, kids. This is some Marie Kondo shit. You know you know that book? No. The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up? Oh, yes. I read that shit. And one of the chapters is like, respect your belongings. Like, tell your socks that you love them when you put them to bed at night. That's what Toy Story is. If you believe in the premise of Toy Story, that all toys have feelings, then every carnival game is just like a freakish Holocaust nightmare. Also, where are Sid's parents? Sid, the the crazy neighbor boy who wins Woody and Buzz at the crane game and then takes them home to mutilate them. This child is like one breakup away from being on the cover of Time Magazine and nobody is intervening. (laughs) We need to give this boy the help he needs or at least find him a way to relieve his sexual tension. Also, let's face it, Toy Story was just an excuse to get all of us to sympathize with a toy named after a, a boner. <laughs> and given some of the shit that's gone down at Pixar, that makes sense, to be honest.
0: <laughs> bow, bow,
1: bow. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Sorry, not Sorry, but To Infinity and Beyond belongs to Beyonce now because she sang it in Single Ladies and now it's hers. Next, we got A Bug's Life. Pixar movie number two. Once again, a Pixar movie glorifying beasts.
0: <laughs> I love A Bug's Life. A
1: Bug's Life is disgusting. Oh, it's so fun. If I wanted to watch a bunch of ants fuck around, I'd lift up your mom's mattress. <gasps> oh, That's fine. It's just yeah, gross. Yeah. <laughs> also, let's be honest. Grasshoppers are cooler than ants and they deserve to be in charge. That's just the way the cookie crumbles, my friend. If you can't learn how to team together like a literal army of ants, then you deserve to get your fucking ass eaten. Not in a good way either. Plus, what if the grasshopper's name is Hopper? That's like if my name was Fat Gay Masturbator. (laughs) (laughs) It's accurate. It's a little on the nose. Plus, a Bug's Life glorifies inventors and there are no good inventors anymore sorry we ran out inventors is just what people who spent two hundred thousand dollars on an engineering degree call themselves so their moms don't evict them from the basement uh let's see next toy story 2 i actually don't have a lot to say about toy story 2 so i'll just remind everybody that tim allen is just a male roseanne aka a piece of shit who supported donald trump and also was arrested at an airport for possession of over 650 grams of cocaine and instead of spending life in prison he ratted out the names of some other drug dealers and then he only spent like two years and four months at a federal correctional institution in minnesota Why don't you and your Tim the Tool fucking face fall off a roof on Christmas Eve so somebody else can take over being Tim Allen from now on? Boom! (laughs) Got two Tim Allen references in there. Next, Monsters, Inc. Um, My main beef with Monsters, Inc. is that Boo, the little child whose real name they don't even bother to learn, is an annoying piece of shit and deserves to get her ass scared. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also, the entire story starts when Boo sneaks into the monster world and then Sully is like, oh, fuck. And then it, you know what he does? What? He goes to Mike, who's on a date with Celia, mm-hmm. the sexy one-eyed monster <laughs> in that tight dress, who's a way out of Mike's league to begin with. And then he cockblocks Mike and brings him his problems. And so Mike's whole situation is fucked up because he's got a fake ass friend in Sully. You fucking fake ass motherfucking Sully fucking ass bitch. Mike was about to back that thing up where it came from. But no, Sully had to fuck it all up because he's an asshole. My other beef is that I refuse to believe in a world in which monsters are the scariest thing there is. Okay, Monsters Inc. 2018 would just be a guy in a Sally Mae costume coming out of the closet and being like, hi, you still owe $80,000 on student loans. Also, a reality TV star is president and he picked two Supreme Court justices. Isn't that fucked up? next finding nemo nemo is a piece of shit who deserves to die whoa, whoa. <laughs> he touched the butt he was told not <laughs> to touch the butt and what did he do he did it anyway and then guess what happened snatched snatched right out the water right to the dentist's office right up to that little ginger deviless. Let's see, next, The Incredibles. Mrs. Incredibles was the baddest bitch in this game, and any movie that doesn't feature her prominently as the center of the family unit is trash. So, trash. Also, there weren't enough scenes with gay icon Edna, no capes, mode. Pixar had the chance to deliver us the first great gay animated movie, but no! (sighs) They got The Incredibles 2 instead, and Edna remains a scene stealer in the background, just like the rest of us. Next up, cars. I don't want to think about the anatomy inside an anthropomorphic car. (laughs) Anthropomorphic. (laughs) Are cars bred or built? And who builds them? And is that their form of sex? Wow. Wow. Profound questions that are three like three movies haven't solved. Oh, what else? Ratatouille. One, fuck you for making me know what Ratatouille is as a food and a word. Two, Remy doesn't get any of the recognition he deserves. Linguini the boy, though, was like twink. twink. He, yeah, gay porn star for sure. <laughs> Because you can't live in France as a garbage boy and make money. Next, Wally. ei don't like how Wally stigmatizes a world in which human beings are fat and happy and floating around in a space blimp in tiny flying motorized chairs with our every waking need satisfied. That's somehow a bad thing in WALL-E world. Fuck you. Oh, sure. Let's go down to Earth and watch two Roombas try to fuck one another instead of floating <laughs> around in our utopia spaceship. Fuck Wally. Next. Up. Fuck up. And up knows why. <laughs> okay. Hasn't this old man been through enough without an annoying chubby Boy Scout getting all of it up in his business? Let this elderly motherfucker perish in peace. This man has lost Everything. And now he has this donut hole of a kid all up in his business launching his house into the sky. Also, fuck up for the first five minutes of Up because the first five minutes of Up didn't have to go that hard and they did. And it's fucked up. I haven't seen the next six Pixar movies that came out since then. Let
0: me give you opinions.
1: Toy Story 3. Eh. Cars 2. Who cares? Brave.
0: Haven't seen either because I'm anti redhead. Sorry. Yeah,
1: no one cares about a ginger. <laughs> Monsters University.
0: Saw it. Loved it. Saw- no, I'm so sorry. I saw it at a drive in, and Despicable Me 2 was playing beforehand. And then by the time Monsters University came on, I fell asleep because drive ins start very late because the sun sets late. Right. So I haven't seen it.
1: That's where you go in the winter. Inside Out.
0: Amazing.
1: Never saw it. It's great. I don't need my depression.
0: (laughs) Animated. Animated.
1: (laughs) The Good Dinosaur
0: piece of shit movie. I did
1: not even know that was a Pixar movie. Because it
0: was so bad. Well, okay, the animation is gorgeous, but it's the kind of animation where it's so beautiful and perfect and realistic that it just looks like a photo, and at that point, take a fucking photo. Also, the story is trash.
1: If you want a Good Dinosaur movie, watch dinosaur.
0: I got too high once and watched that movie and got real scared.
1: They die. They all die.
0: I know. Well, actually that's not true. In the end of the movie they don't all die.
1: I guess what happened? What happened to the dinosaurs in IRL? <laughs> did they all die? No, right? Cuz like birds. And like chickens. And reptiles. This has been Science with Man. Finding Dory. I did see But I saw. Dory's Loved. a fucking idiot. Stop glorifying idiocy. <laughs> Either be smart or get fucked. (laughs) Oh no! Cars three. Nobody saw that. Then Coco. I did see Coco. My one opinion about Coco is that I'm just, and I'm just throwing this out there. I don't want any letters. Okay. If they could talk to dead people, they should have just killed the grandma outright. Wait, what? (laughs) I'm saying. The old-ass woman, Coco, they should have killed her. Why? Because she didn't know what the fuck was happening. She was out of her goddamn mind. They could have just put her out of her misery. (gasps) And then they could have hung out with her on the Day of the Dead like everybody else. (laughs) Also, the afterlife looked way more fun than regular life. And Miguel knew that because he spent fucking Day of the Dead there. And the fact that he didn't kill his uh, abuelita Coco is fucked up. It's fucked up that they let her live. That's the most fucked up thing about Coco.
0: Is Coco anti-assisted suicide? Is that what the point of Coco is?
1: Yeah. It's make this old woman who has been suffering her entire life because she has not been around her dad. Murder her and then she'll be around her dad. Miguel. No, but you're too worried about your fucking guitar. You little bitch. (laughs) And then finally, Incredibles 2. Have not seen it, I haven't but seen it yet. again, if they don't center Mrs. Incredible, who I saw a post on on Twitter about how she has the body type of like the original Instagram model. <laughs> because <laughs> she was like the OG Kardashian. Oh, hell yeah. Anyway, and that's the end of the Pixar movies. If they come out with another one, I'll shit on that one too. I'm an equal opportunity shitter. And now it's time to welcome our guest complainer. My guest complainer today is comedian W. Kamau Bell. He's host of the Emmy Award-winning CNN show United Shades of America and the new Netflix stand-up special Private School Negro. He's a traveler to all the weird places across the United States and resident of one of the strangest places, Berkeley, California. Please welcome to the show W. Kamau Bell. Everybody, relax. Also, I I should point out that out of almost forty episodes of our show, you are the first straight man to ever be a guest. So congratulations! Are you serious? <laughs> and don't fuck it up. Uh, you Listener's ain't kidding. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> oh my god!
2: I feel like I should. I feel like I should just come out just to protect myself, but I can't.
1: <laughs> you get one chance, and if you fuck it up, no more straight men on the show. All right, so. All right. Well, we like to start off by asking everybody, what is one thing that you hate that everybody else loves?
2: Uh, I feel like I want to go back and say I kind of would like to screw it up, fuck it up for all the straight men, just because I don't think you should have (laughs) any more straight men on the show. But anyway, uh, (laughs) good, good. but, you know, I thought about this. It's sort of a it's sort of it takes a little explaining, but it's a thing that I notice I really, really can't stand. And it comes out of like criticism culture, which we live in now, which I'm a part of as a stand-up comedian and a person who's on TV giving my opinion. But the thing I hate that it's not like everybody loves this, but it is a thing that people love to do. That when something comes out, usually in pop culture, that is sort of universally regarded as being great, that then immediately after we all go, isn't that great? There's a group of people who go, "Mm, here's why I don't like it. I can't stand because it feels like it's always coming out of. I just have to find out a reason not to like this because every because it's universally regarded as great. You know, for example, like this is America came out a little while ago and we all just went, wow, amazing. We didn't expect it. We didn't know you, you had that in you, Donald Glover. It's you've raised the bar. It's it's a you know. And then some people get tired of everybody lavishing praise on it and go, then here's why. Here's why you shouldn't love it. And I can't stand that.
1: There is almost now like this predictable cycle where like something happens and there's all these people who like, you know, say, oh, I like that or whatever. And then there is that backlash. And it's just like you you almost have to just like factor it in to doing anything like, you know, at this point, there's going to be some weird backlash and it's just exhausting
2: no i mean i don't think the beatles would have ended up being the beatles if they had come out now
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true you'd have all those people yeah here's what i hate music filled with melody
2: and and easy to remember powerful lyrics this is what i hate just to me it's just like you know because i i think what we're forgetting is that everything's not for you So if you have a real take on why something should be hated, feel free to put it out there. I'm not trying to stop your free speech. But for me, with like, this is America, I feel like unless you want to tell me that they actually killed that guy in the beginning of the video, just go ahead and let it play. (laughs) Donald Glover actually executed a man for his video. Okay, wow. Yeah, I need to relook at how I feel about the video.
1: (laughs) So you are termed a political comedian which feels like an oxymoron at this point because I, I don't think there's any comedian who has like escaped talking about current events in some way. Do you like that term? Do you identify as like a political comedian? I mean for
2: me it was a t- it was a title that was thrust upon me like I was just a comedian and then when Obama was running for president the first time I started talking about it a lot, and then suddenly I got asked to do political comedy shows because I was talking about politics, when really, for my mind, I was like, no, I'm talking about a black guy. (laughs) I'm talking about (laughs) a famous black guy who's in the world. And so then people started calling me a political comedian, but then I would be put on these political comedy shows – and I often found that what people regarded as political comedy wasn't what I was doing. Like I wasn't like sort of attacking both sides equally. I wasn't like championing the, the right Democrats or I wasn't whatever. That I was sort of just giving my opinions on whatever I thought about whatever I thought. And also I was putting a lot more race and racism in it than people want in political comics. So that's when I sort of like sort of adopted the title sociopolitical comic, which makes me sound smarter, but <laughs> also just means like. I'm just talking about society, and sometimes that involves politics. And I will talk about politics, but I'm not – I'm really talking about society.
1: Right. Well, it does seem like, you know, because of how charged everything is now, like, even if you feel like you're not talking about, like, overtly political things, people are kind of thrusting that title on you. Because it's like, oh, now all of a sudden if you, if you make a comment on something that might have been, like – innocuous before and now it's like politicized
2: yeah i mean i th- and i do think that everybody you know n- other people have said this too like every choice you make is political <laughs> like it's just about like right you don't have to be talking about politics to to uh to be engaging in, in political acts i mean you know we've talked about i'm the first straight man on here as a gay person when you come out of the closet and proclaim your gayness that's a political act it's a personal act but also the personal is political so for me it's like Comics who go on stage and actively don't talk about politics at all are making a political choice, you know. And also, you can pretty much, I think, tell what somebody's politics are as a stand-up comedian based on their act, even if they're being ironic or even if they think they're playing a character. You can sort of be, you can sort of guess who they're voting for, who they're aligned with. So, you know, Larry the Cable Guy doesn't have to tell me that <laughs> like, he's skew conservative. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you have like a, a political breaking point? <laughs> I just think like is is there a point where there's things get so heavy that you're like I I can't talk about this anymore. Uh,
2: I mean, I think as a as a, a comic, I'm sort of used to sometimes letting things stew. Like you know, you just sort of put them on the back burner and like I'm not I'm not ready for that yet. It doesn't mean that I I'm not going to get to it. It just means like I don't have the punchlines yet. To I have the anger, but I don't have the punchline. So for me, that's part of the process. Is like you know this is on the front burner and I have plenty for this and this, I'm just going to let it sit back and stew for a while. Like this up front of the burner, I'm making soup on the back. I'm making gumbo. So that's going to have to sit <laughs> for a while. But in, but ultimately that ends up being the best stuff that sort of sits in your head and you try and you rewrite and you sort of like p- keep going through what's the best way to attack it. Uh, I was watching, this is sort of a, a like, have you seen the uh, marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I think that's the title. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, the Amazon Prime show about a white woman, white Jewish woman in the 50s who's becoming a stand-up comedian during the era of Lenny Bruce. Uh, and there's a great section of her working on the same joke over and over again. And I was like, that's the best I've ever seen that communicated to people. I always thought it was a ghost. But now I know it was something much scarier. My parents' sex life. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mom and Dad. <laughs> but now I know it was something much scarier than a ghost. It was my parents' sex life. No, for years I'd, I'd embarrass myself at Halloween because the other kids would be making ghost noises like, ooh,
1: ooh. And I'd be going, ah,
2: ah. You're always sort of like chewing on stuff, and like I almost have the punchline for this, and then one night it just comes to you or you figure it out or you overhear something, and then it all comes together. So for me even if i can't get to it now it doesn't mean i'm sort of upset by it i'm like eh, it'll 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 mature when it's ready
1: do you feel like you can sort of like make light of of everything in in the world right now or i don't know is there like a certain things get too heavy and it's like oh, i can't i can't touch that
2: there's only sometimes where i feel like i have to comment on what's going on in the news like i remember i was about to go on stage in chicago when like uh, uh, one of the this comic Kevin Kataoka who's on the show it showed me his phone because uh, George Zimmerman had just been founded found innocent of murdering Trayvon Martin in Florida. So, and Kevin knew your audience is going to expect you to know this, so I'm going to let you know this, even though he was also like, I'm also fucking up your set, <laughs> like I'm also like, because <laughs> you're not going to be able to go up there and not talk about this because everybody else's phone is going off right now too. So. But and also, but it's also going to put a hole in your set because there clearly there has not been time for you to write a bit about it. You know what I mean? Uh, and this is and everybody's also going to be really deep into their feelings in this moment, so they're not even going to be thinking about do you have a funny joke for this because there's going to be especially my crowd is going to be feeling intense feelings about it. And so what happens? I sort of went on stage and I pretty early in my set I just sort of owned it and said, look, some of you may know this, some of you not. This is what just happened. George Zimmer was found. Uh, not guilty for murdering Trayvon Martin. And I just sort of said, here's what's going to happen everybody. I'm just going to talk about it for a few minutes. And at some point, I'm going to segue back into jokes. And at the end, it will laugh and be fine. <laughs> like, you know, just you know, we'll get out of this. But I I, I know you want to hear my thoughts on this. I want to hear my thoughts on this. But just, so I sort of put like a, we'll put a pin in that and come back to this at another show. But I want you to know that I'm in the world with you and I'm engaged with you. So that was the most sort of like having to talk about something that I didn't have anything to talk about. But generally... If you don't have anything to say, the audience doesn't want to hear you say anything. <laughs> like they would rather you sort of do the things you know how to do. Like I don't have a joke right now about children being separated from their families at the border because I'm just sort of like everybody else, reading and processing the information. And the last thing I want to do is go on stage with some half-formed joke that ends with a pun. That just because I was like, they they need a joke about this because that's ultimately going to hurt me more than it's going to help me.
1: It's, it's weird to to think like, oh, a comedian's job must be like so hard right now uh, since there is so much garbage, but it does feel <laughs> like, you know, it's difficult to kind of like walk the balance between wanting to kind of provide people with both an escape from what's happening in the world, but also acknowledging that terrible things are happening in the world. You know, you a comedian's job is sort of to spread joy and laughter, but also comment sometimes on what's happening if you have the right words for it how do you sort of balance I mean that? it's funny
2: I, the hardest job in comedy that I think is like you know first of all as you sort of alluded to when you talk about hardships in life, being a stand-up comedian is really, like, low on the list of, of life, as you sort of alluded to. So, yeah, we, yes, yeah, it's like there's, you know. But the, If know. you're going to talk about comedy as a job, the hardest job for me, and I had this job for a minute, is a late-night talk show host where whatever the news says that day, you have to have a comment on it. But even yeah. amongst that, I remember big news stories breaking, and I would turn to The Daily Show, and Jon Stewart, this was back in the John Stewart days, would just not talk about them that night. Because they had happened too late in the day, and they didn't have jokes for it. And I was like, "Oh, you don't even realize how often comedians will sort of—if I'm funny that night, anyway—you're gonna you're gonna re- forget that I didn't talk about that thing. And then when I have a take on it, I'll talk about it in two days, you know. So, I think that like that's the job I wouldn't want because you really have to take you ha- eventually. You have to talk about the painful thing whether you want to or not. Whereas for me, the sort—I'm of, in the position where I can reference the terrible thing as a way to get to a joke that I have that is good. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. I can sort of like in the midst of talking about how uh, President Trump is doing a bad job. I can list families being separated at the border, then get to my joke that I've already written. That's a that's a joke about Trump's Twitter feeder. You know what I mean? It's, so it's like you don't always have to have the joke. People just want to know that you're in the world reading the same articles and, and re- referencing the same same information they have.
1: Yeah. That's true. I feel like one of the things that I've been sort of reckoning with just in my own world is how, I don't know, because I spend so much time on, on Twitter and, you know, it, it feels like if you don't have anything to say, like, in the moment, then the moment passes and, you know, you might as well not join the conversation at all or whatever. And and it does, it feels like, oh, I, I need to, like, this is also everything happens so much like there's so many things happening at one given moment that like you know it does every moment feels very ephemeral um but yeah to your point i mean like you don't have to have something to say about everything like it's okay to let things stew
2: yeah and i think that like we sort of get seduced into thinking that you can somehow win social media for the day and that that means something tangible like i think I have friends who are on Twitter and all day long sort of reacting in real time, a lot of comedians who are like, I'm like, man, like a partner noncherla, how do you do it? Like are you eating breakfast? Are you eating lunch? Like <laughs> you know, like you know. Uh, and, and sometimes I get jealous, and I, I get jealous for a partner for lots of reasons. He's a great writer. and But I also just like I I wish – I sort of like feel like I wish I had that time. And then you're like – and then I'm like, dude, you have three children. <laughs> you know, like a couple jobs that other people – you have a, several jobs that people would think were one full-time job you don't have to, and your audience isn't always sitting with bated breath, like, I wonder what Kamal thinks about that thing Trump said this morning. Some of them are, but guess what? There's going to be another thing he says tomorrow, or there's going to be another thing, another issue. So you just have to forgive yourself, unless, like, very few of us, some people might be, but we're not, most of us aren't getting paid by the tweet, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, so, you know, so it's like, what is it really getting for you? Now, I think some people it is a way to build an audience, but even that has diminishing returns at some point, but I do. I am jealous of people who are doing it all day, but then also forgiving yourself for the fact that like you can't, you can't be expected to be there. And I, I, there have been times in my life where I've heard my daughters say, "Dada, put your phone down." And you're like, "Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that's the saddest sentence a kid can say to you." is Please stop tweeting. <laughs>
1: I feel like I need a, to have a child just so I have someone to tell me that. <laughs> In the absence of that, I'm yeah. lost.
2: Your never your phones are. Well, I would just say this: I'm not advocating for you to have a kid, but I, if you do happen to have a kid, put your phone down when your kid says, "Put your phone down." <laughs> like, unless we'll you're like, unless we'll you're see see doing it. something for them. I am trying to order you a pizza, but you know, but yes, <laughs> it is a it is a good reminder. Like it is a way. It's a quick way to be a, a good parent is to put your phone down when your kid says, "Put your phone down."
1: For those who haven't seen uh, your show on CNN, can you sort of like lay out what, what's the premise of of United Shades of America?
2: So, OK, so you mean everybody under the age of 30 or <laughs> who's not watching.
1: Everyone who perhaps does not have a cable news and if not And suddenly
2: isn't at home at 10 o'clock on a Sunday going, time to tuck in and watch some CNN. <laughs> After I just watched Game of Thrones in Westworld, time to flip the channel to CNN. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, it's the whole idea. It started out as a black guy goes places either he shouldn't go or you wouldn't expect him to go. And now, and it started out in the last year of Obama being in office. So we were sort of like, it was more, there was a little more of a stunt aspect to it. Like the first episode was the Klan. But since the since Trump has gone in office, it feels like the show has has homework assignments to pass the microphone to people who don't get to speak publicly in mainstream air in mainstream media outlets often enough. So, it's really like not about it's about and also about trying to put myself in positions where it's like I don't know anything about these group of people, so let me go find out about them. And it's not so much about being me being afraid of them or not going there, but it's just about like if I didn't have a TV show, I wouldn't go there. And so I'm going there because you don't have a TV show is basically how I feel about it. Like like we did an episode this year about uh, the Sikh religion, which some people think call the Sikh religion, but they prefer the Sikh religion now. Well, I learned that. And so it's like you're not going to go to – most of you watching in the audience aren't going to go to Yuba City, California and learn about the Sikh religion but you should because it's the fifth largest religion in the world, so I will go there and be a witness for you and hand the microphone to people who feel like nobody ever listens to us. Like that episode we ended up finding out from the Sick Coalition was the first time they've ever had an hour-long documentary on American television about their religion. And so we didn't know that going in, but it feels like This is the work we should be doing, you know, helping. So we did one about living on the U.S.-Mexico border this season. We did one about the Gullah Geechee people of South Carolina. And the best thing about it is every week people are like, I had no idea about this thing. We did one about people that native Hawaiians, that was all about Hawaiian sovereignty and Hawaiians talking about their land was stolen. The people who go to who've been to Hawaii many times like, were like, I didn't know anything about this, so that's what the show is at this point.
1: It sort of started as that. Okay, let's go have some kind of difficult conversations with with people who maybe don't want me to be there, and uh, yeah, it's certainly shifted. Yeah, I mean, I
2: think that really, I, mean, I think really the like P, the clan sort of made people think that's what I was trying to do. Like I was always going to be across from somebody who hated me, and I feel. I don't feel bad about that because I feel like when we made that episode, I really was curious about do I have the intestinal fortitude to have a conversation with the clan? Could I have a conversation where I felt like I wasn't losing myself? And I think I did, whether people believe that's true or not. I know I did, so I know I did. But that was never the idea. Like, there's a show on Vice called Hate Thy Neighbor. Let him do that show. Like, I'm not trying to every week show up that <laughs> I've got children and I'm and I'm too old to be. Uh, <laughs> like, I've got, I don't have many years left. So, But for me, it's like, I, or like, Silverman's got like I love you, America, which I think is more about her talking to people who don't she doesn't agree with. Where for, for me, it was like I just want to talk to people who don't get talked to, and that for me, that's it. That and hopefully the audience will gr- has grown and evolved since uh the clan show,
1: right? So, for the show, you obviously do a lot of traveling. Is there any place where you have been where you're like, I just need to get the hell out of here? Oh, I mean.
2: It's not the let's be clear. It's not the people of this part of the world, but the cell phone reception in Appalachia is really horrible. (laughs) Like like the cell phone, the Wi-Fi, because it's literally in the mountains and in the hills. And it was just like we were just always driving. Like, God damn it, I don't have any bars. Like it was just like (laughs) it just felt like a part of their the struggle of people who live in Appalachia is that when the coal industry shuts down. Other businesses aren't going to move there because it's so remote and so hard to get to that nobody's going to build a factory. It's very unlikely that someone's going to build a factory in Appalachia because it's hard to get your stuff in and out of there, you know?
1: Right, right. Is there – I do like asking comics if you can recall, like, your worst show ever – just while we're like reliving traumas, you know.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh great. Let's keep going. Uh <laughs> when's the last time you cried, Kamal? Well, it was uh earlier today, thinking about my kids not uh, thinking I travel too much. Um so I think the show that is easy for me to pick out, I mean I've had a lot of bad shows. The one time I got booed off stage was like two like three years into being a stand-up comedian. And I was it was a packed show at a club in Chicago, and I was living in Chicago at the time, and I went on stage, and it's just that thing that every comic knows, how you, literally how you step on stage and take the mic out of the stand, tells the audience if you're worth uh, their time. (laughs) Like it's just like, it's from the moment you, from the moment they see the lights hit you, they start to go, is this worth our time? And I was three years in and not that good, and and from the moment I hit the stage, it was just clear like, I don't think he's worth our time. But then they give you like a, all right, say something funny, and if it's not funny, if the first thing that comes out of your mouth when they don't suspect you as being funny isn't funny, You've already created a hole, and if you don't have the skills to get out of that hole, you will find like you did, like I did in Chicago, where you get booed off stage and a set you're supposed to be on stage for seven minutes, you walk off in about, in less than a minute. Good night, everybody. That's been my time. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned like, oh, I'm not even not as good as I'm supposed to be. I'm horrible. And that's three years in at a time where you're supposed to be sort of starting to come into your own. So it was like pretty late to find out how horrible I was.
1: (laughs) Well, your special was amazing. So I feel like you've truly you've you've come around. You know. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's been a, it's been a long time since then. Thank
2: you. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm gonna cry.
1: <laughs> um. I do. Uh, so, I, I, you have this whole bit about the television show Doc McStuffins. Yes. And I I can't say I've seen Doc McStuffins, but I, it's been a while since I've watched any children's yes. shows. But part of the terror, I think, of having children for me is just the thought of having to watch children's shows all the time. Is there a show that you cannot stand?
2: Uh, so first of all, you're one and among many people who watch my special. who are like, I've never heard of this show before. And somebody even tweeted to me saying, <laughs> now that you've talked about Doctor Stephen so much, I actually pause your special in the middle to go watch it. And I haven't gone back to your special yet. <laughs> they were like, they were like, hope you're happy. <laughs> so, and a little bit I was like, so I think that's why I did that bit because I knew that some parents would be like, I got it, I know. Some parents would be like, I don't know about that, I should check it out. And then some childish people will be like, what is happening? Because <laughs> we're used to hearing adults rave about. About shows that are for adults and so that's that's part of the fun of that bit is that it's somehow it seems normal to have somebody go have you seen The Handmaid's Tale and talk about it for 10 minutes but somehow seeing somebody go have you seen Doc McStuffins talk about it for 10 minutes is funny inherently just because it's a kid's <laughs> show and we think of that as we condescend to that being a lower level of quality but so uh, a kid show that I hate let me think it's not that you. It's not that there's shows I hate, but there's shows that my kids will do a deep dive on that become exhausting because there's only a finite number of episodes. So it's like you just get caught up, and it's like a, <laughs> like you get caught up, and like I I just we have to start watching something else. Like we have to. Like I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm not trying to besmirch the makers of this show. So recently there was a show on Netflix with the very uh, awkward title, uh, "Miraculous Ladybug," like we're. We're not allowed to watch late miraculous ladybug anymore because it's just, it's just it just it was just too much. We went through all the episodes too many times and my wife was like and also because it's a superhero show, I think it was making my three and a half year old start to punch people. <laughs> like so we just had to like, settle down, everybody. Settle down.
1: Let miraculous ladybug do the punching.
2: I think you should watch that more than Doc McStuffins just because I would love to then one day find out your take (laughs) because it's just (laughs) it's a little bit like you need to I'll check them both out yeah Doc McStuffins is a good show Moraghan's Ladybug as an adult you probably need to be high or a little bit drunk (laughs) like (laughs) <laughs> that was for my thought. Make like, I'll
1: watch it, but I won't be sober for
2: no, it. No, no, don't be sober for it. Please don't. And then get back to me. But yes. <laughs> Although am I being too much? Am I being too much of a straight guy by giving you homework assignments? Is that something straight <laughs> guys do? Like they bark <laughs> orders? Here's what you need to do. Here's what I think about you and your life.
1: That's true, but I'll I'll give you a pass. I feel like I have a lot to learn, so I uh, okay. <laughs> I'll take it. Well, I will let you go. Where where can people find you and your work?
2: Uh, you know, I'm 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 on the Twitter. Not as much as Aparna Nancherla. Find fo- follow Aparna Nancherla, but also follow me at W Kamal Bell. That's where I do most of my w- good work. I'm a little bit on Facebook because uh, my mom's on Facebook. And, uh, but yeah, WKamalBell.com for any tour dates and things like that.
1: Everybody go watch Private School Negro on Netflix right now. W. Bell, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, we're almost there. We're almost at the end of the show. But first our chasers. Chasers are the good stuff that helps all the bad shit go down. Barry, what's your chaser for the week?
0: Matt, my chaser for the week has to do with a little treat I like to give myself sometimes, and that's either an iced mocha or an iced chai. But let me tell you, I recently discovered oat milk, which sounds dumb and is dumb, but is actually delicious. Oat milk? Oat milk. What
1: does that even mean?
0: I honestly don't know, but it's so good. It it tastes like cereal because it's oats.
1: Gross. Anyway,
0: I I highly recommend an iced mocha with oat milk. It is... Delicious. It is. Matt, what is your chaser this
1: week? My chaser is me. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I am finally putting out brand new videos every single week Yay! on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash I call them To Be Honest. It's me getting drunk in the middle of the day and complaining about a different topic. If you love the podcast... But don't like me. <laughs> if you love the podcast but want to see me getting drunk in my apartment, then watch To Be Honest. They're going to come out... every. Every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time or Daylight Savings Time. Check it out. Share it with your friends. And that's it. Thanks for listening to Unhappy Hour. You can head to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. Hit that subscribe button, then rate us and review us. But only if it's nice. I don't want to hear your fucking garbage. Unhappy Hour is a production of Pineapple Street Media. It's produced by Barry Finkel, Josh Gwynn, Claire Ty, and me, Matt Belisai. Special thanks to Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, and Eleanor Kagan. Music by Hansdale Sue. You can find me on all the social medias at Matt Belisai. You can find Barry at Finkelberry Pie. but why would you do that? And that's it. That's everything. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye bye. Was Jesus even a teenager? Jesus was a baby, and then he was like a 35 year old (laughs) man. There's no in between.